Welcome to The Report Card with Nat Malkus, the education policy podcast from the American Enterprise Institute. Well, once again, kids are heading back to school amid alarming increases in COVID-19 cases. News reports of hospitals at capacity and communities ravaged by tragic losses might give the impression that not much has changed since schools reopened in August 2020. But they have changed. We now have a highly effective vaccine available to all Americans over the age of 12, and a vaccine for younger children is on the horizon. What does this mean for schools? And can states and districts require vaccines for teachers and students, and should they? Here to discuss this issue with us is Professor Lawrence Gostin, the Linda D. and Timothy J. O'Neill Professor of Global Health Law at Georgetown University Law Center and the director of the World Health Organization Collaborating Center on National and Global Health Law. Dr. Gostin is the author of multiple books, reports, and articles, including two recent pieces in JAMA and Scientific American on vaccine mandates. Lawrence, welcome to the report card. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So before we get into the tough questions about vaccines and mandates, let's contextualize the situation. How bad is COVID-19 right now as we're entering a new school year? Yeah, I mean, you know, just when you think you understand this coronavirus, it throws you a curveball. And I've been working in public health and global public health for over 30 years, you know, from AIDS to Zika to Ebola, influenza. And, you know, this is the most wily virus I've ever seen. So when we think we know it, we don't. The truth is that this Delta variant is much more infectious than the original coronavirus or even the Alpha variant from the UK, which we thought was very contagious. It's nearly as contagious as chickenpox. And if any of your listeners know about chickenpox, it's awfully contagious. That will spread through a school quite quickly, won't it? Very, very quickly. And luckily, we have a vaccine for that now. So the answer is, is that we are in a perilous position um, because our cases are going up. We've got a very difficult uh, and dangerous pathogen to deal with. We've politicized pandemics so much that we don't know whether to mask, not mask, distance, not distance, vaccinate, not vaccinate. But what has changed, and you're absolutely right in your introduction, is that we have a highly effective vaccine. It really is a triumph of science. The FDA is now approved in record time, the Pfizer messenger RNA vaccine. And we just need to step back and just pat ourselves on the back for our scientific ingenuity. And it's a real triumph of humanity. But we need to get it in people's arms. Um, And that's why we're seeing an avalanche of mandates, colleges, universities, states and local governments, the whole entire federal workforce, the military, and it's happening more and more each day. And I predict that, you know, in the foreseeable future, most people are going to need to get the jab to go to do their ordinary life, you know, go into a classroom, go into a a workspace, and even perhaps a restaurant or a, a movie theater. And so that's our future. For our audience who's particularly interested in K-12 schools, of course, a lot of the question is, okay, well, the Delta variant is certainly more transmissible. And there's some reasons to kind of think, well, yes, and it hits kids hard. But is that really the case? Are kids that are more of an exposure with this variant than they were to the original COVID? 
Well, the answer is yes, of course, they are at much greater risk of exposure. And the reason they do is because it's so highly infectious and that even vaccinated individuals um, for a very brief period of time, if they get a breakthrough infection, can be quite contagious. But we don't know enough to say that this virus's variant and mutation is actually more pathogenic to kids. In other words, that it will necessarily get kids sicker. What we do know is, is that children have very robust immune systems, that most of them can handle this virus quite well. They don't get very sick at all, but there'll be more people exposed to it because it's more contagious. And so you're going to see more kids getting sick and going to the hospital. It doesn't mean that this is a more dangerous virus in terms of making them sick. It just means there are more kids being exposed to it. Now, it may be that this will be more dangerous to kids. We just don't have the evidence to say that it is. And for now, what we need to know is, is that it's an infectious virus. Kids need to mask up. Teachers need to be vaccinated. Kids who are eligible should be vaccinated. And that otherwise, children are robust and most of them are going to feel just fine. Okay, so this is an education policy podcast. So let's let's move into the policy arena, shall we? Uh, You know, earlier this week, New York State announced it would require all its teachers, public and private, to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 by mid-October or else submit to weekly testing. So that's that's one of one example of some of these mandates that are going to be coming. First, up or down. Is that the right call? Yeah, it's the right call, but it should have been sooner. I wouldn't wait until October. <laughs> um, the kids are coming back now and, you know, the virus isn't going to wait for a month or two to visit the kids. So absolutely, it's the right call. I mean, The truth is, is that, you know, teachers and educational staff have a sacred duty to protect our children. And there's a vaccine that can really help protect them. You know, I work at Georgetown University. I've recommended to the president and and he's accepted it that we have a mandate for vaccines for all of our students, all of our faculty, all of our staff. And that's exactly what's happened. It's lawful. It's ethical. And uh, it's not just a something we have the legal power to do, I actually think we have the ethical duty to do it. We sit in in local parentis for these kids, and our first duty is to keep them safe. Parents send their kids to school because they think it will be a safe, secure environment, and we have to fulfill that obligation to the best of our ability, even in a pandemic. You just said that vaccine mandates are legal, certainly for teachers. Talk to me about some of the precedent for vaccine mandates in schools. I mean, in this discussion, you would think that it's a novel idea to require vaccines in schools. Uh, Are we in uncharted waters here or are there historical examples that we might look to as we navigate this situation? Well, the answer is yes and no, actually. Um, You know, first of all, as, as we all know, for many, many decades, the United States, through via state law, um, has required a series of childhood vaccinations as a condition of going to school or preschool or or care um, for the kids when they go into an indoor setting. And absolutely, that's lawful. It's part of the American tradition. The Supreme Court has upheld it twice. And there's absolutely well within our comfort level, anybody who says that 
vaccines are foreign to the United States are just wrong. And we've been doing it, you know, well before childhood vaccinations. We've been doing it as long ago as, as smallpox. Um, the very first time the Supreme Court upheld a compulsory vaccination was in 1905. Um, so, so we've been over a century doing this. And so it's very, very close to what we've always done. The thing is, is that I've never in recent memory saw the avalanche of mandates that we're seeing now in businesses, state and local government employees, including teachers. And so we are a little bit in uncharted territory, but the truth is, is that you know, we're in a once in a century pandemic and it calls and we have this tool that is phenomenal. Um, remember, you know, we've tried everything. We've tried to mask and the virus kept roaring back. Um, we've distanced and it's roared back. We even closed down whole cities and it's roared back. Vaccination is our best and most effective tool and we need to use it and it needs to be used in schools because it's not fair to leave a generation of kids behind and particularly poor and minority kids who, who don't have access to the internet or quality home instruction. Um, they've been left behind. We cannot do that anymore. And so we need to make schools as safe as they can be. And that starts with vaccinating universally all of the teachers, all of the staff, and to require um, universal masking. I mentioned the New York State mandate. New York City has its own mandate that's even stricter in some regards. Uh, all public schools there have to be at least partially vaccinated by the end of September. So that's a five-week clock from when we're recording. And teachers are not allowed to be tested regularly in lieu of, of vaccination. You said these mandates are legal. Are, are even stricter mandates like that also going to pass muster with the lawyers? Absolutely. You know, so, you know, the University of Indiana put in a, a flat mandate for vaccinations of its community. It was challenged. The courts upheld it. It went up to the Supreme Court and Justice Comey Barrett, who is one of the most conservative justices on the court and in our history, just let the mandate stand. Uh, I think that's an indication that it's lawful. And, you know, even the most conservative justices are not going to quarrel with an employer mandate. The employer is, in, including the school district and the school board, is allowed to set safety conditions, which includes requiring teachers to be vaccinated. You know, teachers and others may argue that they've got a freedom to make the decision themselves. But the truth is, is that my freedom stops at the point where I'm going to pose a risk to you. And, you know, no teacher has the right to go unmasked and unvaccinated in a cl crowded classroom with vulnerable kids. And so school districts can make a policy choice. They can either have a flat out mandate, you either get vaccinated or you don't work here, perfectly justified, or they say you have to either be vaccinated or else you've got to be tested twice weekly. I can tell you that even if you do the latter, the vast majority of teachers are going to roll up their sleeves because nobody wants to just keep getting tested twice every week indefinitely. Let me ask you about exceptions to these mandates. Now, there have been exceptions for other vaccinations, and I, I think that these might be for everything from religious reasons to certainly health reasons, but also maybe 
philosophical reasons. How porous are these and how much consideration of these exceptions should policymakers be considering, especially given the politicization of this virus? Well, you know, if you go back to childhood school requirements for vaccinations, the the vast majority of states provide a religious exemption, and they all provide a medical exemption. The medical exemption is constitutionally required. The Supreme Court has said it. But having said that, you know, your, your listeners should understand that there are vanishingly few legitimate medical exemptions for COVID-19 vaccines. There, there are some people who are immune compromised who can't mount a, a robust immune response, which is why we're giving them boosters. But there's almost no one that literally would be at risk by getting this vaccine. But you do have to give them. Religious exemptions for childhood vaccinations, there are a few states that have have eliminated them. New York, California, West Virginia, and the courts have upheld that. So you don't have to give a religious exemption. Now, I need to kind of dot the I's and cross the T's here because the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has said that if you're requiring your workforce to be vaccinated, that you have to give them a religious exemption. So that's different from a state mandating a childhood vaccinations as a condition of going to school. Now, I think that's challengeable, but the point is, is, is that you should not give any philosophical exemptions. Nobody has the right to just say, oh, gee, I don't want to get vaccinated. For religious exemptions, I'm really not aware of any organized religion whose doctrine it is, is that you that you can't save life and you can't get vaccinated. And so I would make these religious exemptions very strict and I would require some kind of a process. I wouldn't make it easy. Right. Just not claiming an opt out. Yeah. I just can't say, well, that's, you know, it's against my religion. No, that's not good enough. Sure. And you can imagine if those were allowed in this politicized environment that, you know, these these narrow holes would have the potential of opening wide. Yeah. And they have even with child. Childhood vaccinations, you know, and you know, certain parts of before they changed their their exemption policy in California, there were whole communities that didn't want to vaccinate their kids and claiming a religious exemption. And the problem is, is, is that religious exemptions may be a very small percentage of overall vaccine policy, but they tend to cluster in certain religious or other communities. Um, and when they cluster, that's when you you get outbreaks. Let's talk about students and vaccines and children specifically. Back in June, you wrote in the Journal of the American Medical Association, uh, this is way back in June, so things were a little different, but that vaccine mandates in children would be premature. Is that still your position? Well, in some ways, yes, but it's but my my position is melting away a little bit now that the Pfizer vaccine has been um, fully licensed by the FDA and the Moderna vaccine will soon be. You know, essentially, it is a little premature. And here's the reason. First of all, the vaccinations for the, the 12 to 15 year olds are under an emergency use authorization. It's not fully licensed. And for younger kids, um, it's not even under an emergency authorization. And for that reason, I would hold off until really three things happen. But they could happen soon, and I hope they will. The first is, is that there is a full FDA approval of the vaccine for kids, and that includes under fives. And then the second thing we need is for there to be just a period of time of careful surveillance 
of these young populations just to make sure it's fully safe. We all expect it to be, but kids are our treasure and we wanna be really careful with them. And so after a period of time of what we call post-marketing surveillance and full approval uh, by the FDA, I do expect the CDC to one day recommend that COVID-19 vaccines are part of the a schedule of childhood vaccines as a condition of going to school, and that many states will then mandate it, although not all will, because as you said, it's very politicized. And, and those requirements typically would would not be federal requirements. They would be federal recommendations, and then it's uh, a state-by-state cases. Is that right? That's exactly right. You know, it's not well known in the public that, you know, the federal government, including President Biden and, and also the CDC, has no power to require a vaccination other than in their own workforce, but they don't have a general power to require the population to be vaccinated nationwide. And they also have no power to require vaccination of kids going to school. All they can do is make a recommendation, which the CDC does every year, making making recommendations about which vaccines should be listed as part of school requirements. And then they're enacted by state law. And there's there's even there's variability. Not, not all states pick up all the vaccines that CDC recommends. Um, but this is absolutely a state and local power. It's not a federal power. And is that power at the state level typically exercised by the legislature? Or is it a public health decision that would be made by in the governor's office? Or where's the typical locus of that decision? It depends. Some some legislatures keep that decision to themselves and others, probably more, more of them, delegate it um, to public health officials. It's better to delegate because you don't want to, you know, when you've got an, a, you know, a disease that's, that's troubling, you don't want to have to go back and pass a law to require it. Um, so you should have, you know, flexible delegation to public health authorities. You mentioned that this disease has been unpredictable throughout, but one thing that's been sort of ahead of schedule, it, it seems like, has been the vaccines and so forth. That That's moved pretty smoothly, record FDA approval, record time frame to bring these uh, very effective vaccines to market. I know you can't predict the future. How How long would you tell listeners to expect between, and just in a range, when the preconditions for school-age vaccination mandates that, that could come might, might be here with us? Are we looking at the, at the winter, next school year? Uh, what should we expect? You know, the truth is, is if we're going to mandate it among children, if I had a crystal ball, I would say by the end of 2022 and sometime into 2023, because we want to go slow and cautious and remember, for under fives, we're probably not even going to get a, an emergency authorization until certainly the end of this year and maybe the beginning of next year. And so I would give it a year after that until the FDA is able to fully license these, these uh, vaccines for young children and then a period of time of assessment. So my guess is that we're not going to be seeing widespread mandates for school children until 2023. It's possible we'll see them for older kids sooner. And so we, we might just get make it incrementally because we're likely to get a vaccine approval for 
you know, 12 to 15 years old children much sooner than we will for younger ones. You know, a lot of this vaccine controversy and politicization has come down to the fact that there's a good portion of Americans that don't like to be told what to do. And of course, a vaccine mandate it requires a vaccination. So at some point in this perhaps somewhat distant future, we have the question of, uh, you know, when the rubber meets the road, how do you enforce a vaccine mandate? So for teachers, for instance, it seems like there's a threat of getting fired, maybe, or, or, or some such thing. But how do these kind of mandates actually come with consequences in, in districts and states, as we've seen, at least in the past? Well, we see it in the present, you know, because we see there's a lot of vaccine mandates that are happening now. You know, and basically there are just two kinds of mandates, as we've discussed earlier. Um, you know, the first kind is just you're required to be vaccinated to come to the workplace. And if you're not, you can't come to the workplace and you're either fired you're, or you put on suspension without pay. Those are powerful tools and most people will choose to, to work. In the other case, it's either you get vaccinated or you have to test once or twice weekly and you literally can't get into the school grounds unless you've met one the testing or the vaccination requirement. And so there are very effective enforcement, um, which is, you know, basically it's your choice. You either, if you want to work here, you have to work here safely. And here are the rules. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, you, you know, a person can't bring alcohol or a firearm into a school. And what's going to happen if you come um, with a bottle of whiskey or that or you're drunk? You'll just be sent to, sent home or fired. Pretty similar. And when it comes to, to students who refuse to get vaccinated, I'm interested in this from a particular perspective. I mean, most of these vaccine requirements work because, you know, we have these requirements set up. And like you said, people want to bring their kids to school but in, in some of these situations where there's vaccines available for teenagers, but parents may be reticent, how does this work out? I guess I'm asking, do teenagers need parental consent to get the vaccine? Again, it depends. For the most part, particularly for young children, there is uh, it's a parental decision and the parents make the medical decision on behalf of the young person. But there's also a long tradition in public health that if you've got a an older child, an adolescent, who's unable to understand uh, the consequences, can can get the vaccine themselves. And so, you know, I I would absolutely think that in many states, in many places, that if a a young teenager goes to their pharmacy or to their doctor and asks for the vaccine, and they're eligible for it under FDA standards. I fully expect and would expect the pharmacy or the doctor to give them the vaccine as long as they had competency, which which most young adults do have. So let's talk politics for a minute. As I said, New York recently became the first state to issue a vaccine mandate for teachers. And I, I suspect we're going to have a number that will follow. Do you expect some governors to issue orders to the contrary, like we've seen with masks, saying something like, well, districts in the state would be prohibited from mandating vaccines. Or would what we've seen in masks be very unlikely to, to flow down the same path? No, it's already happened. You know, a lot of these laws apply to vaccines as well as they do to uh, masks. So, for example, you know, uh, Florida tried to stop the Norwegian cruise lines 
um, from vaccinating its passengers. And that's been being, being litigated right now. So they do apply to vaccines, um, not just masks. And, you know, I find it, you know, really strange, you know, is that, that I can see that, you know, a public health official or a governor or a state legislature might, you know, be lackadaisical in not requiring a public health measure, but to actually block school districts um, from doing that public health measure seems to me to be outrageous. And this is happening in Texas right now with Governor Abbott, who's trying to enforce his anti-mask and anti-vaccine rules, particularly masking, which applies equally to vaccines. And school districts are pushing back. They're, they're requiring it anyway, certainly of masks. And and, the, and it's, this is going to go be litigated. You know, can, can governors and legislatures prevent school boards and school districts and superintendents from making decisions that they believe is in the best interest of the health and safety of the student body? And they're doing so on the basis of a highly robust scientific consensus. I don't know that gives the governor much of a leg to stand on, but legally the governor might get away with it. But from a public health, a moral and ethical perspective, I think it's a, a total betrayal of public trust. So you've made a strong case that vaccines are the right solution to stopping the, the spread of COVID, particularly in schools, especially once we can get the vaccines available to students and, and, and even fully authorized. For the sake of argument, though, let's say that most states and districts decide not to mandate this vaccine for, for whatever reason. I have a two-part question for you. What is their next best step that, that school leaders in those places might take to keep students safe? And how big is the gap between the first best step, vaccines, and the next best step, protecting students from COVID? It's a great question and, and put just the right way. The next best step is masking and good ventilation. And the truth is, is that you want layers of protection for our kids. So it's not either or, it's not ventilate, mask, or vaccinate, it's all three. But if I had to choose one, it would absolutely be vaccination. And there's a long distance between having a fully vaccinated population as opposed to masking um, and ventilation. But if I had my heart's wish for the sake of the health and safety of, of young kids and I'm a granddad. I've got a five-year-old and a one-year-old. I want them to be safe. And the best way to do that is mask up, roll up your sleeve and get the jab, and open the window. All right. Lawrence Gostin, thanks for coming on the report card to talk to us about vaccine mandates. And hopefully we'll get those jabs in arms and put this virus down soon. We hope so. And thank you very much for having me. Much appreciated. Thanks for listening to The Report Card with Nat Malkus, and special thanks to our guest, Lawrence Gostin. We'll include a link to Professor Gostin's writing on vaccine mandates in the show notes. I'd like to thank our producers, Matt Rice and Wesley Armstrong. They make this podcast possible. And remember, you can subscribe to The Report Card on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And when you're there, you can leave us a review to help other people find the show. As always, you can send me your topic suggestions, comments and questions to ed.podcast at aei.org. That's it for this episode. I'm Nat Malkus.